Hey guys, Bill here. We have a podcast coming on in a minute. We're going to be talking with Dan Graziano about the running backs who are coming up in free agency and some Dak Prescott talk. But first, just wanted to remind you to check out Scott Van Pelt's podcast, the SV Pod. Scott is a good friend of mine. Always a delight to be on SportsCenter with him. And this week, Scott and Stanford Steve discuss what it will be like with football returning and what will happen if a quarterback tests positive for the coronavirus. So download and subscribe to the SV Pod and, of course, the Bill Barnwell Show wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here's the show with Dan Graziano. All right, as promised, now joining me on the Bill Barnwell Show, good friend of the podcast, taking out the time to hop on on a Wednesday afternoon, it is our friend Dan Graziano. Dan, how are you? Bill, I'm doing quite well. How are you doing today? Hanging in there. I am hanging in there. Good. We have some f- interesting stuff to talk about when it comes to the NFL. There is a intractable problem with the NFL that I am coming to you, Dan, hoping hmm. you have a solution. And that issue is the problem of paying running backs. We have a lot of running oh. backs who are going to hit the open market this offseason. And this is prompted by the news that Dalvin Cook is going to be holding out in advance of the final year of his rookie deal. Dalvin Cook, of course, a very talented player, had a great season last year. Under circumstances 10 or 15 years ago, I think there would be very little question about paying Dalvin Cook a lot of money to be the Vikings running back for a long time. But we, of course, are an enlightened group of people now. We've seen the data. We've seen history when it comes to running backs. Typically, these contracts do not work out well. So, Dan, when it comes to Dalvin Cook, if you're Rick Spielman, if you're analyzing this problem, what do you do? It's a huge mystery. I mean, you think back to last year when the Chargers were talking to Melvin Gordon, right? And he was looking for David Johnson money, which is like $13 million a year. And they were offering, from what we understand, something in the $9, 10000000 million range, which they felt was generous, you know, given – what the market is for running backs, but uh, he held out. It didn't work out for him. He, he gets less, obviously, from the Broncos this offseason. I mean, I guess it depends on how far you want to push it if you're Dalvin Cook. David Johnson got that contract in a year where he had one year left on his deal. Same situation as Cook is in now. Uh, the Cardinals gave him a big deal right on the eve of the start of the season, Um and I don't think you see too many teams operate like that. You don't see too many Todd Gurley deals. Ezekiel Elliott had to hold out of a whole training camp to get his deal and, and legitimately threaten not to play. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, that was smooth. They just gave it to him and, and set a new benchmark with effectively two years left on his deal. So uh, you don't see that very often. I think Cook's case and a couple of these other extension candidates at running back are very, very tricky. I mean, Part of the reason you don't want to pay them is because of durability issues at the position. This is a back in Dalvin Cook who's already missed 19 games due to injury in his first three seasons, mm-hmm. including a couple last year. So if, he go, if he's going in looking for Christian McCaffrey money, I think if I'm Rick Spielman, my answer is pretty simple. Christian McCaffrey has missed zero games due to injury in three years. You've missed 19. Let's have a real conversation here. But what the number is, I just think it's it's very, very difficult for teams to figure that out. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I know that um, it seems like the Vikings offer, according to reports, was somewhere around 9 or $10 million a year. Um, it, the, our Courtney Cronin reported that 
Dalvin Cook's side would be very happy with $13 million a year. So not Christian McCaffrey money, but that's still a lot of money for a running back if he's not healthy uh, and not on the football field. And like you mentioned, Dalvin Cook has a torn ACL in his recent past, um, injuries last year, fumble concerns last year. A guy who, by the way, also, you know, is running in a Gary Kubiak offense, which going back to when we were lads and children has been churning out, you know, 1,500 yard rushers. Like it's nothing, you know, but at the same time, like I watched Alvin cook, he's good. You know, he's a really good football player. And, and this is a Vikings team that at the end of the day, I was talking to Dominique Foxworth and he pointed this out to me, you know, this is an offense where Mike Zimmer has come out and said, Hey, we want to run the football. We are a run first football team. And they traded Stephon Diggs. They invested in their offensive line with the draft picks and free agent signings. Um, they have been aggressive about molding their team to be a run-first football team. So if you're the Vikings, are you more maybe maybe more focused on signing a running back? Or on the flip side, the Vikings, of course, spent a lot of money on other positions. They are you know pretty cap-strapped. They had to cut some guys this year uh, to create some cap room. Does that element of it make you say, hey – we need to be cheaper at running back. Let's just, you know, if Dalvin Cook wants to move on, okay, we'll go with Alex Madison. Maybe we'll sign somebody or we'll draft somebody next year and we'll go from there. But what, how do you, I mean, he's got a contract for this year, right? So what do you do? I mean, the Chargers talked about trading Melvin Gordon last year, but couldn't uh, because, you know, they, they couldn't get what they felt was appropriate compensation. So if you're going to lose Dalvin Cook, a year from now in free agency and get a third or fourth round compensatory pick as a result. And right now you put them on the market and all you're going to get back is a fifth or a sixth. What is that worth it? So it's probably better as the chargers did to wait and, and see if he'll come back and play for you. So the team has the leverage here um, to a certain extent because recent history suggests that Dalvin's probably not going to find what he's looking for on the open market. So to me, this is one of those where you're what, are you five or six weeks away from the start of training camp. Assuming they have in-person training camps this year, you're going to want them there for that. Maybe there are some discussions to pick up closer to that time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's a very important player for them. They're better when he's in there. He runs the ball as well as anybody. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, a vital part of their offense. They do like Alexander Madison, the second-year guy from Boise State, but I don't think they see him as – you know if, if – if Cook were gone, they'd have to augment at the position. It wouldn't just be Madison. I mean, somebody else has to give him a, bre- a breather. So I think he's an important guy for them to have. If if the uh, if it's true that they're offering him 9 or $10 million a year, I think that reflects their opinion that he's important. It's just a question of where does he fit in this, in this odd hierarchy of running backs? Can he get into that top four or five running back average salary, or does he have to accept something less? And, and if he does, right, let's say he signs for something like $10 million a year, right? Mm-hmm. Does that establish a new neighborhood? Is that, is that where Alvin Kamara ends up? Is that where Joe Mixon ends up? I mean, there's a lot of guys coming that, you know, want to be beyond the sort of $8 million Devontae Freeman level, but their teams aren't probably going to want to put them at the 13, 14, $15 million level that we've seen from David Johnson and Todd Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott and now Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I think that's a really good name you brought up in Devontae Freeman, a guy who not only you know signed a contract after a big year, a couple of years, I think it's fair to say, in a Kyle Shanahan offense, but then was not the same guy and got cut, but a guy in Devontae Freeman who came out or, or his people have come out and said, hey, you know, if we don't get the money we're we think we're worth in free agency, we're just not going to play this year. 
which you know, sort of begs the question of, well, why, why are you going to get it next year or the year after that or the year after that? So, right. you know, so I wonder, you know, when you look at Devontae Freeman, a guy who had a track record of success, not having much on the open market, when you look at, you know, Dalvin Cook and you think about the possible trade market, you go back to the Melvin Gordon uh, rumors that were going around. It really wasn't very much. You know, teams were only offering a fourth or a fifth or a sixth round pick for, you know, a guy who I think saw himself as one of the top five or six backs in football. I mean, what does it yeah. say about the demand at this position? Is it just going to be, you know, the sort of uh, a few teams who are comfortable paying for running backs and treating them like they're really significant? Or, you know, is it going to be finding the sucker and finding the, the team that's going to make the wrong decision? Or is it just, you know, that the league as a whole just doesn't seem to value these running backs unless you have, you know, an absolute grade A superstar? Right. And even then, I think sometimes you're going to have a, a difficult time getting to the number. Carolina didn't have to give Christian McCaffrey that contract. No. I mean, they had him for another year. The fifth year option in 2021 could have theoretically franchised him in 2022, but they did it because they felt like they wanted to make sure, I don't know, make sure he knew that he was their guy or, or uh, you know, they just felt like spending that kind of money. I don't know, but they, they definitely are the exception as Arizona was with David Johnson as the Rams were when they did Todd Gurley two years before they had to. Uh, it's very rare that you see it pushed to the brink as, as Ezekiel Elliott did with the Cowboys last year. But I think that's, that's the, if, if you're going to talk about uh, actually, like what cause and effect, what can you do to produce, produce the desired outcome? Elliott's the example. The others are kind of weird exceptions where the team acted in a way that you can't really expect every team to act. And I think that's, uh, that's important for people to understand. I think it's important for the running backs to understand. Like if you're, in a situation where you're negotiating with the Minnesota Vikings, that's not necessarily the same thing as negotiating with the Carolina Panthers. And uh, again, Dalvin Cook, as great a player as he's shown himself to be, does come with some drawbacks, some question marks, the injury issues, et cetera. He does not have as clean a sheet as uh, Christian McCaffrey in terms of his injury history, in terms of his consistent productivity. And I think um, that's why you see uh, a little bit, more difficulty when you talk about guys in that situation. Mm -hmm. So let's run through some of the big names hitting the market, because this could be an enormous class of running backs in free agency if a lot of these guys don't get contract extensions. Let's start with the guy who did get paid in a way this offseason, did get the franchise tag from Tennessee in Derrick Henry. I mean, if you're Tennessee and you're even more run-heavy than the Vikings are. You're sort of the most, you know, the, the, the maybe outside of Baltimore, the most run-intensive offense in football. And Derrick Henry is the core of that offense. So, I mean, what are you thinking when it comes to the Derrick Henry negotiations? I'm thinking Derrick Henry gets franchised again next year, and then they see where things stand once that's all over. I mean, that's the other thing that's holding this situation back. The running back franchise number is not too difficult for, for teams to handle. I mean, if Derrick Henry's making, what, 10.3 this year? So it's going to cost 12.36 to, to franchise him again next year. You're gonna, if you tell me I got Derrick Henry for the next two years at, at uh, $22.5 I'll take that. And, then, and I don't have to commit anything else beyond that. So I think that's probably what happens. Henry is an interesting situation. You'd be surprised to see him hold out because, you know, 10.3 is a lot more than like the 1.3 Dalvin Cook's going to make this year. I think that's really important for people to understand. He's a year further along. Um, Cook's still on that rookie contract. I think the Vikings would admit that 1.3 million is far less uh, than 
Dalvin Cook should be making this year, given his projected role and, and his importance to the offense. But it's a lot different if you're the franchise. I'm sure Derrick Henry wants a long-term contract, but a lot easier to go back and pay, play for 10.3 than it is for 1.3. I think that's mm-hmm. probably pretty obvious why. So uh, I, my, I mean, unless something happens, unless, again, the team decides to do something it doesn't have to do or the player decides to agree to a contract that's a little team-friendly, I wouldn't be surprised to see Henry in the same position next year, which the recent historical comp there, of course, is Le'Veon Bell with the Steelers. Mm-hmm. He played on one franchise tag but then sat out the whole season when they tagged him again and ends up a free agent. Do you want to follow that path if you're Derrick Henry? Do you not want to follow that path if you're Derrick Henry? Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see Henry and the Titans push it to that uh, to that level where he has to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Alvin Kamara, a star Saints back, a team that is you know in win-now mode, a team that's used him extensively, but a team that, again, also has cap issues? Right. That's not, you know, and, and he's another guy who's on the fourth year of his rookie deal, not a first-round pick, so no fifth-year option, just like Dalvin Cook, and uh, is vastly underpaid. So that, to me, is the, is the really tough one because this is a really kind of unique player in terms of what he can do and how the Saints use him. If Alvin Kamara was on the market, I would think the most interested team would be the Saints, who, who, who know how to use him and, and know what his value is and know what he can do and how to maximize him. Uh, his numbers, some levels, are very eye-popping, but he's also a guy, you know, you can catch the ball, you can, you can, you can run it with him. Can you ask a full season of him as your – as your bell cow running back, we're not necessarily sure about that. So I think he's a really tricky one. I don't know what that number ends up being. I think it could be a situation where the Saints are an organization that appreciates him maybe more than another one might uh, and give him a deal. I, won't, I don't say it's McCaffrey level, but maybe you know a little bit beyond where the Vikings are with Dalvin Cook. As you mentioned, the Saints have cap issues to work around, obviously. That doesn't necessarily mean you can't get it done. I mean, they'll they obviously, the reason the Saints have cap issues is because they know how to structure signing bonuses and contracts to, to alleviate short-term cap issues. Yeah. So um, they would do that, and I think if they got to a number they liked with Kamara, uh, that's not something you can rule out. A year ago, they were in a situation with Michael Thomas, a wide receiver, who was going into the final year of his deal. Another non-first-round pick, no fifth-year option, and, and they found a way to get to the number with him. A little bit easier with wide receivers because the market's more defined, and obviously Thomas at the very, very top of it. But um, Kamara, a, a unique case because of the way he's used and the different things uh, different things he's asked to do and the different things he's not asked to do in the Saints offense. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing that comes to mind about Alvin Kamara is you look at this Saints team right now, and, well, hey, you got Drew Brees at quarterback. You're feeling pretty good about things. You have an incredibly deep roster. You're deep on the offensive line. You're good to go. Now, a year from now, the, the contract the Saints gave Taysom Hill for 2021 seems to hint that he's going to be in a meaningful role in that offense. Now, could the Saints be a totally different-looking offense if Drew Brees is retired a year from now and it is Taysom Hill at quarterback and they could be running the ball a lot more frequently? And in that case, would Alvin Kamara be a lot more valuable? than maybe he is, not that he's not valuable now, but even more valuable in a a run-first offense as opposed to uh, the offense that the Saints are running with Drew Brees. I, I think that's not out of the question either. Right, and I think the Saints have looked at their future and imagined what it would be like if they had to construct an offense around Taysom Hill as the starting quarterback, and I think you're right to think that it was it would look a lot different. Uh, but I don't think they're – I don't know if they're committed to that, right? I mean, 
Jameis Winston is there as Drew Brees' backup this year. If he shows something as a backup this year uh, and Brees does move on, do, do they think about staying with a more traditional offense and putting Jameis Winston or going to get another quarterback in there? So I think the Saints are giving themselves options. In terms of Kamara, I, I think – I mean, they, they obviously value him. They obviously know he's important. They obviously think he's a great player. Um, and I think he's probably the kind of guy that could fit into whatever offense you were running. Mm-hmm. So I would think that the future of the quarterback position in New Orleans doesn't necessarily factor into their decision on Kamara from a scheme standpoint. It might in terms of a money standpoint, right? How much is quarterback going to cost us going forward? So uh, that might factor in. But again, as, as happened with Thomas last year, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised to see them come to some kind of arrangement. Yeah, that's, that's the most logical thing for the Saints and Kamara. A, a situation that I think is a lot trickier when it comes to how this team is valuing this player and how they're going to see that team going forward. Uh, what about Aaron Jones with the Packers? A, yeah. a situation where, you know, they draft a running back in the second round this year. They've been hesitant to commit to him as their full-time back when, um, you know, they've given Jamal Williams a, a good chunk of the load. What do the Packers do here? He drafted, well, A.J. Dillon, right? Yep. In the, <laughs> in the draft. I think all those things you say, plus that draft pick uh, announced to Aaron Jones that, hey, if you want to talk deal, we'll talk deal. This going to be our deal, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be, you know, if you want to break the bank deal, we're already looking at a future without you. So I don't know if he's in their plans long term. I, I, I kind of think maybe not. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I think, again, it's like anything. It depends on the number. If he comes toward them and he does a deal that's favorable to them, then maybe things change. But if he's looking to try and, you know, if he's going to do what Dalvin Cook's doing, if he's looking to try and 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 max out his contract or get, you know, near top of the market money, I, I would I would be very surprised to see the Packers, who still have to do a David Bakhtiari extension and, and other things. Um, I would be surprised to see them go down that road. I, I think that the I think that the pick of Dylan is a big signal mm-hmm. to Aaron Jones that hey, uh, we love you, but you know, we're not necessarily going to break the bank. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know if you noticed, Dan, but but Packers fans were upset that Aaron Rodgers did not get help uh, around him with his weapons this offseason. I, I heard some whispers yeah, about how, that, yes. How is that going to look if the Packers then say, ah, Aaron Jones, we're good. We're, we're going to move on. We're happy without you. He's, you know, outside of Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones is the second best weapon in the Packers offense. Yeah. So, it does seem like they're going to have to replace Aaron Jones, whether it's A.J. Dillon doing that or whether it's, you know, adding somebody else. It just seems like if you're going to have to replace him anyway, do you consider giving that money to Aaron Jones as opposed to, you know, a wide receiver or running back from outside of the offense? Matt LaFleur is the Packers head coach, and he worked for Kyle Shanahan for, what, nine years? Mm-hmm. So we just saw Kyle Shanahan reach the Super Bowl with this sort of interchangeable collection of running backs to the point where Raheem Mostert was the hot guy and, and, and the guy, you know, they got him that monster championship game against the Packers. Um, and then when they're starting running back in the Super Bowl, I think if you're Matt LaFleur and you're the Packers, you're looking at it as like, this, this is not, a, and look, the 49ers have done some spending at running back in recent years, but not, very top of the market spending. And I, I think that uh, the philosophy is we need several of these guys. Uh, a couple times last year, the Packers coaches were telling me, you know, yeah, they like Aaron Jones, they like Jamal Williams, they need a third guy. So I think the Packers are always going to want to have that, that uh, stable of depth 
at the position. Uh, and that, to me, says you wouldn't want to necessarily pay one of them through the roof because, um, I mean, yeah, the, the Niners did a couple of years ago with Jarek McKinnon, who, by the way, still hasn't played for them uh, after two years. But, you know, they were also in a position at that point where they had gobs of cap room and had to spend money in order to get to the salary for Packers. Obviously, most teams, the vast majority of teams, not in that same position. That's very fair. Absolutely. Um, what about James Conner, a, a guy who had an off year last year? Of course, the entire Steelers offense was, you know, pretty much just destroyed by injuries a year ago. So that was a mess. But, yep. you know, I mean, this is a, an organization that did offer Le'Veon Bell significant money and then let him leave. And, you know, I, I don't know how they feel. I, I don't think they miss Le'Veon Bell all that much when it comes to that offense. So do you think they handle... Uh, the Connor situation when it comes to possibly giving Connor an extension differently, assuming he has, let's say, the year he had in 2018 in 2020. Right, but a big assumption, right? Because this is another guy that has a hard time staying on the field, and obviously we know all about his his past health situation and what a miracle it is that he's you know he's in the NFL and being productive at all. But it may be that if you're the Steelers, you're looking at James Connor based on the last couple of years and saying. Really good, really productive player, but we can't necessarily use him the way we used Le'Veon Bell because he hasn't held up. So it may be that they need to uh, construct a running game that looks a little different than it did with Le'Veon Bell. And if that's the case and you're looking ahead to James Conner's role in it, then you're not, you're not going to be offering him the money offered Le'Veon Bell. So I, I think uh, you know, Conner's a guy that if he, if he were to have a monster year and play all 16 games and put up Le'Veon Bell-type numbers, uh, then he makes he has a real strong case. But if you're looking at it right now and you're the Steelers, you have to think to yourself, we can't bank on that. If there's going to be an extension to be done, uh, I don't think it's going to be a monster one at this point. Guy who sort of flies below the radar a little bit because he plays for the Bengals. Um, the guy's been very productive over the last few years. And the guy who... You know, now that the Bengals have Joe Burrow, they could be a you know a team on the rise. You'd figure may get a lot more attention this year. Uh, what about Joe Mixon? I mean, is he a guy who yeah. you see this, the Bengals, who of course you know don't want to spend a lot of money in free agency typically, but do yeah. seem to resign. Oh, last year was the exception, of course, but typically yeah. don't typically spend money in free agency. But a team that does, you know, when when their players when their draft and developed players do well, they typically do get resigned. Do you think Joe Mixon gets a big deal? I think there's a deal to be done for Mixon. There's a couple factors. One is um, Zach Taylor wasn't the coach when, when Mixon was drafted, so sure. you, we don't know exactly how he feels about him. I, I think, obviously, that as the year went on and the way he used him in the second half of the season, I think we saw that he values him highly and thinks he can handle a lot. Uh, I, I covered their game against the Patriots late in the season, and Bill Belichick couldn't stop talking about the guy. Um, and all the Patriots coaches I talked to were on and on and on about this is the best back in the league. So if the Bengals don't want him, it sounds like the Patriots would. Uh, but they, uh, I, I think he's. I think there's a deal to be the mix to remember. You know, not to dredge stuff up. I mean, Mixon was was a first round talent who fell into the second round because right. the despicable circumstances under which he was entering the league hadn't. I, you know, caused anybody any problems since he entered the league. Not that obviously that doesn't wipe away what he did in college, but, uh, you know, he, he has, he has made a case for the Bengals to keep him and extend him. Uh, I don't, I just don't think there's anything holding that up other than, um, just don't like to play running backs. I mean, he doesn't have, doesn't have Dalvin Cook's injury history. He, I mean, he missed some games as a 
as a uh, rookie in it, but he hasn't, I mean, he hasn't been out for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's, you know, he's shown an ability to play through injuries. He's been over 1,100 yards the last two years. Uh, I think he can catch the ball out of the backfield probably to a greater extent than we've seen. And I think uh, Zach Taylor's the kind of coach coming from, you know, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and that tree that, uh, that knows how important that is. So I think there's a deal to be done there. And that's kind of what I was talking about with Cook. Like if, if someone were to establish a new zone, it isn't like top four or five running back salary, like the 14, 15, 16 million dollar range. If there, if, if all these guys were to settle in like around 10, then all of a sudden there would be this sort of new kind of running back middle class where, you know, if you're a or sort of an upper middle class, right? So if you're a very good player, but you're not the exception, you're not the Ezekiel Elliott, the Christian McCaffrey, the the one that will absolutely break the bank for because you've demonstrated that level of value that your team can still keep you. But right now, as Alvin Gordon last year, and it sounds like as with Alvin Cook this year, that zone of like nine, ten million is still not what these guys feel that they're worth because they look and they see what McCaffrey got and what Elliott got, and they think Bob just as good as that guy, uh, even if it's not necessarily true. That is how people like to perceive themselves. Yeah, I mean Joe Mixon, a guy who's played behind a horrific offensive line for the past couple of years, one of the worst lines in all of football each of the last two seasons. Um, and the, the Bengals did give Joe Bernard a, a modest deal, sort of a Austin Eckler. Uh, maybe a little uh, short, smaller than Austin Eckler, but you know, a, a mid-tier deal. But obviously, Joe Mixon, I think, can point to his production and say, "Hey, I deserve more." So, um, I, yeah. I do think there is a, you know, there is a middle tier there, like you said, that does make sense. And another guy who might come to mind for that middle tier um, on a very run-heavy team. But what about Chris Carson of the Seahawks? Another guy that uh, you know, this past year. Um, answered some questions about his health, but I think, you know, he has had that issue of not being able to stay healthy. Uh, he has had a fumble issue. Yes. And that is a big, that is a big problem, obviously. But I mean, look, the last couple of years, you know, I'm looking 14 games in 2018, 15 games in 2019. So I guess it's not really fair to call him a health question at this point, not to certainly to the extent of some of the other guys we were talking about. But yeah, Seattle's paying their quarterback more than anybody in the league is paying their quarterback. I mean, there are they have Tyler Lockett on a really good deal, but they have expenditures elsewhere. Did they end up bringing back Jadavion Clowney, right? Like, that's still up in the air and a possibility. They may not be in a position to spend. They added, what, Carlos Hyde, right? So they're not – their depth chart at running back is getting to the point where something with Carson and they could um, – they could fix it or they could figure it out. And then of course, Rashad Penny, a guy who really hasn't stayed healthy. was a first round pick a couple of years ago. They obviously think very highly of him, but haven't been able to rely on him. So I think Carson's part of the situation in Seattle. Again, like I said, with um, Connor, I think if he had a monster year this year and made a case for a, a top running back contract, then maybe he could look to Seattle as the place to maybe get there. Or maybe he goes free agent and gets it somewhere else. But at this point, committing to Chris Carson, if you're Seattle, probably needs to be done on some kind of deal that, that you can live with as a team. Some, I don't want to say bargain, but, but maybe a little bit more team-favorable than player-favorable. Maybe he gets fined a million dollars every time he fumbles. The, the, oh, man. Right. There you go. The de-escalator. You factor that in, right? Yeah. The de-escalator. The de-escalator. Uh, with I mean, he fumbled seven times last year. Like, you can't – I mean, that, that's, your, that's the point against you if you're negotiating. Yeah, it's true. But hey, Melvin Gordon fumbled twice on consecutive plays on the goal line and cost his team a game, and still yeah. got, you know, still got that mid-tier eight million dollar a year contract. Two more guys here 
um, I want to just get to before we finish up. Um, someone who I think it's fair to say is not getting a big contract from his current team, but if he did have a big season, do you think there would be interest in Leonard Fournette? I, I think so. Leonard Fournette had a really good year last year, numbers-wise. He, he, he caught 76 passes last year. Like that was, and he was a factor in a way that he had never been before. So uh, I think so. Fournette is... He's had his issues, obviously, with Jaguars management. There's no question about that. It's not that Bell and Dell's out of school. But right. um, productivity-wise, over 1,000 yards, two of his first three years. Obviously, the, the second one was a mess. He's still, what, he, he's just 25. So it's not as if he's been on the latter side of things. I think, yes, I think if he has the year statistically that he had last year, I think there would be a, there would be interest in him on the market to the extent that there ever is. And then, again, we get to the whole – what, what, I mean, Le, Le'Veon Bell didn't get the deal he was looking for. He did well, you know, with the Jets, but it wasn't easy for him. It wasn't necessarily what you know people have said necessarily what uh, Pittsburgh was even offering the year before. So, a free agent running back isn't the best thing to be either. It's not just contract year running back, but free agent running back isn't the most profitable way to go either. So, yeah, I think he might be on the top of the board depending on how many of these other guys get there. But um, you know, what does that mean? Does it mean you cash in? I, I don't think it means you top. The McCaffrey number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, Le'Veon Bell comes to mind as a guy who might be on the free agent market next year. You know, his Jets mm-hmm. guarantees are up after this season. And, you know, uh, I, I can't speak for Adam Gase. doesn't seem like they are in love. doesn't seem like that is a great relationship. Maybe it's just much better than I think, and we'll certainly see after this season. But wouldn't be shocking if the Jets moved on from Le'Veon Bell and another veteran who might be on the market, or actually will be on the market, we know this offseason, unless he signs an extension, is Todd Gurley himself, who signed a massive deal with the Rams. Obviously, after a couple of years, they changed their mind, moved on. Gurley's with the Falcons, now playing behind. Very good offensive line, uh, you know, a lot of first-round picks. Um, a, a great offense with Matt Ryan at quarterback. What, do you think if Todd Gurley has a, a big season, do you think there are teams who would overlook that knee and sort of go back to treating him like the guy he was? With the Rams, or do you think that, you know, he's just permanently damaged goods at this point because teams are afraid of what's going on with that knee? I don't think there's ever going to be a team that overlooks the knee issue with Gurley. I mean, he kind of came into the league with it. There was a thought all along that it might be something that, that ends up affecting his career, possibly shortening it. So, I mean, Gurley got his big payday and made a bunch of money from the Rams. And, and you know, it, who knows? Maybe he lasts forever. Maybe he turns out to be Frank Gore and still playing way beyond what anybody thought he would. But in terms of another big running back contract, I mean, like when running backs go to the negotiating table right now looking for a big contract, the teams say, we don't want to do a Todd Gurley deal. So if Todd Gurley is the guy in this scenario, like what do you, how do you even, like the team, you're, you're the example of why we don't want to do it. <laughs> so I think it's going to be tough for him to cash in at the top of the market. Look, I, I mean, I personally think Todd Gurley's in a great spot. I, I would not be shocked at all if he had a monster year and, and, and was a much better player for the Falcons than I think people are giving him credit for being. But I, I, don't, I think he could get through the whole year healthy and there would still be teams, justifiably so, that the knee is kind of a time bomb. And uh, and aren't necessarily willing to get married as a result of it. Yeah, and I mean, of course, we don't know what the salary cap is going to look like next year. Uh, um, that's another good point. You yeah. know, that that could get squeezed, and you figure, you know, quarterbacks are still going to get paid, wide receivers are probably still going to get paid. The first thing that would kind of come off 
the shelf where you'd say, okay, well, you know, we're not going to spend as much here as we might, would, might in a typical season might be running backs. So, you know, it, it could be a, a really difficult off season for, you know, teams that have, uh, or teams looking for a running back could be more teams or more players available who are talented running backs than teams who are inclined to sign a running back. So really fascinating stuff. That, that coming does up seem there. to be the way of it. Now, Dan, I'm going to finish up with this. I am contractually obligated. As an ESPN employee, every time I do a podcast, every time I make an appearance on a television show, as is the case for you, we have to talk about Dak Prescott. So, Dan, let me finish our conversation with this. If you had to guess right now, based on what you know, based on what you've heard, based on what you think, based on history, what percentage chance is there that on July 16th, 2020, Dak Prescott has a large check in his bank account from the Dallas Cowboys as part of a new long-term deal. You could ask me for percentage chance. Percentage chance. 76. 76. Okay, I like that. I'm kind of in the same ballpark with you. I mean, what what leads you to think that it might not be 100%? Do you think it's more Dak side of things or the Cowboys side of things? Yeah. I think it's more Dak. I mean, look, he's taken it this far, right? Like, he played for $2 million last year and nothing guaranteed beyond that. Now he's 30. You know, I think it's a lot easier to go into this. I mean, this is, you know, Kirk Cousins did this a couple of years ago. And, and obviously by the time he was on the franchise tag, you know, your, your long-term risk is lowered. I mean, this is fully guaranteed money that Dak Prescott's going to get this year no matter what. And he's already shown he's willing to take a much bigger risk for one fifteenth the amount of money. And, um, and I think uh, if he's willing to push this to the very, very end and get the, the you know, the, the maximum he can, it's entirely possible that there is no deal and the Cowboys uh, keep him and he plays on the franchise tag. But 76% is a, is a high number. And so that tells, that tells you I'm, I'm more convinced it'll happen than that it won't. I think it, at the end of the day, the Cowboys will want to make it happen and, um, I don't know if I want to say they'll cave. I'm not sure they'll cave, but I think they showed with Elliott last year that if they're, you know, if they need to go a little bit extra to get the deal done, that they're willing to do it. And um, obviously, I think that's what Dak is banking on right now. Yes. But um, uh, yeah, I think I think they get it done. I I would be surprised if it didn't get done at this point. Maybe at 76 might even be a little bit low, but that's what I that's what I'm going with. I said it. I'm sticking with it. Well, let me ask you. Now, you, of course, were covering the Giants. Were you covering the NFC as the whole when the Kirk Cousins franchise tag fiasco was going on, or just were you strictly on the Giants? I think that was either while I was with the, on the Giants or after they moved me to whatever role I'm in now. So <laughs> I remember talking to Kirk and training before his last season mm-hmm. uh, in Washington and really talking a lot. And we've, we've talked since about how it all went down and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it's – there is a key difference in the situations, and it's an important one for people to remember. That Washington did not ever offer Cousins a deal that they feared he would accept, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Cowboys have offered Dak Prescott a deal that, to my understanding, Dak Prescott and his side don't view as remotely insulting. They, they think it. They think it says to him, "Yes, we definitely want you. This is a significant commitment," uh, and, and they're not to the point where they have to wonder whether he's wanted there long-term. They just aren't at his number yet. Whereas with Cousins in Washington, the front office was never all the way sold on him as the long-term franchise guy. And the offers reflected that. 
and he knew it. And so uh, that, that he went into the franchise thinking about the possibility of not being there anymore. So that's a big difference. The Cowboys have offered Dak Prescott, from what we understand, something in the range of you know, 34, 34 and a half million dollars, second or third highest paid quarterback in the league. Mm-hmm. So it's a question of structure and, and contract and all that kind of stuff that has to be worked out. But it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison with the Cousins. I mean, the Cowboys have not called. I don't know if that was going to be a question, but yeah. No, no, no. I think that's a very good question. A very good answer. Um, I, I, to my knowledge, the Cowboys have not called Dak Prescott by the wrong first name on multiple occasions, which is probably a sign of how they value him relative <laughs> to the Washington organization. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's really fascinating because I think if you had asked me this question, when Kirk Cousins was going through that first franchise tag, if you'd asked me, what are the chances Kirk Cousins gets franchise tag twice and actually leaves in free agency and, Joins another team, I would have said, ah, really slim. You know, like I just these these things always work out, right? You always end up with the quarterback getting the deal or getting some sort of deal from the team. It very rarely, you know, occasionally he'll get traded. You know, the Jake Cutler thing maybe comes to mind. That was a different era, I guess. But you know, I, it just it always seems like it works that one way or another. You never lose him for nothing. And Washington did lose Kirk Cousins for nothing, so I don't think that's going to happen with the Cowboys. But I have to admit, I, I didn't think that was going to happen with Washington and Cousins, and, and it did. And it would be, you know, it's not a path that others have followed since, and it's not the easiest way to go, but it's there for Dak Prescott if he wants to do it, right? I mean, next year's franchise tag would be, uh, you know, top of my head, doing the math, what, like 37? So, I mean, you're talking about, he's got, if he does nothing, right, And, and, and he stays healthy, he's got 68, $69 million guaranteed money coming the next two years. So to me, like, that's easy. I, all right, well, our conversation on a long-term deal starts at $70 million guaranteed, or else why would I even look at it? Because I, I'm getting that anyway. Uh, so he's in a good spot. He's in a better spot than he was a year ago, and he, and he, you know, and he got through that. And uh, I think the leverage has shifted in his favor a little bit as a result. Absolutely. Well, Dan, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Where can people check out more of your great coverage on all things NFL? Well, I'm on TV on Friday, so get up and uh, NFL Live and assorted sports centers are around. And we're talking about putting stuff on ESPN.com in terms of uh, you know, writing. We're writing about all the, the issues that are going on around the world and, and the NFL and everything. And so I'm around. Dan Graziano, ESPN, on Twitter. If I if I write or say something you don't like and you want to yell at me, uh, people tend to do that from time to time. And even every once in a while, I, I uh, respond. So. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Dan. Thanks for coming on. Same here, Bill. Thank you. As always, thanks so much to my guest, Dan Graziano of ESPN. Always a pleasure to have Dan on. And like I said, we'll be back every week from now on talking more NFL stuff. We will have more guests in the weeks to come. If you have any ideas, any stuff you want to hear us talk about at great length, please send me a tweet at Bill Barnwell, and I will be happy to consider it. We are currently accepting ideas, as there's not much NFL stuff happening right now, but always seems to have more stuff pop up. So we'll be talking about that and all things NFL in the weeks to come. Thanks so much for listening.